All right, today is a very special day for us. Okay, we are going to be starting a new study this morning that, quite honestly, I wonder if we will be able to finish before the Lord comes back. Okay? Um, today we're going to be kicking off our study of the Gospel account of Luke. It's a long book. Okay, I want to give you guys a forewarning. In fact, the Gospel account of Luke is the longest book in the New Testament. Okay? Now, I know some of you might be thinking, wait a second. Luke has 24 chapters, and, and Matthew has 28 chapters, and, and even Acts has 28 chapters. Uh, Pastor Glenn's wrong. Uh, no, I'm not. Okay? Um, Luke, while it may have less chapters than the book of Matthew and the book of Acts, it has more words and more verses than the book of Acts and the book of Matthew. Chapter 1 alone has 80 verses. So um, they're long chapters, okay? And so we're going to be in the book of Luke for a a good season here, okay? I do know that, uh, well, I really have no idea how long it will take us to get through this book, okay? But we'll simply take it week by week and uh, march our way through it verse by verse like we do with all of our other studies. And when we get done, we'll get done. We'll allow the Lord to lead and guide us and we'll let him set the schedule and trust that he is in control, okay? Now, some of you may be wondering why we aren't going into the book of 1 Thessalonians today. Here at Calvary, we make it a point to emphasize our teaching upon uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. Last time we were together in our book study, we finished the book of Colossians. And so you might be thinking, why are we not going to 1 Thessalonians? Well, it's because when we started our study in the New Testament, we started with the book of Matthew. And instead of doing four gospel accounts in a row, I decided to break up the New Testament into fourths. And so uh, we did Matthew, and then we jumped to Acts and Romans. And actually, just those three books alone is 30%, over 30% of the New Testament. So then when we finished Romans, we went into Mark and kind of reset. So each fourth or thereabouts of the New Testament, we've partnered together with a gospel. And so we finished Mark, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. That got us halfway through the New Testament. So we're going to jump back into a gospel. And we'll go through, Lord willing, should the Lord tarry, um, and you know, we'll go through Luke and, and then we'll pick up First Thessalonians at that time and continue making our way through probably to about James and then we'll go to John and then we'll come back and get First Peter, Second Peter, the epistles to John, Jude, Revelation, start all over again, okay? Um, I know you guys won't be here probably for all of that, but we stream our services so, you know, you could just continue to follow along and uh, get this teaching through the Bible. I, I do... My hope, just so you guys know really the heart of what we're doing here, my goal as a pastor is to teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, so that I might be able to declare, as Paul did, that I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And I really uh, feel a strong conviction to do that. And so that's why we go through verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And we're going to get through the whole thing. It's going to take us some time but we're going to get through it eventually as the Lord tarries, okay? So, with that, uh, to get us started in this study, we're going to be doing something a little different from our regular Sunday morning studies. Every time I start a new book of the Bible, I always like to do 
a study on the background information of the particular book. I find that it helps to set the stage for the rest of the study. It allows us to understand the overall context of the book and the particular flow of the book. And so that's what we're going to be doing this morning. We're going to get into the opening section of the Gospel of Luke, but only the first four verses. I promise we're going to do more than four verses at a time each week. Uh, This will not be the norm. Uh, But we're just going to get right into the very beginning of it because we're going to look at a lot of background information this morning. So some of you may have some study Bibles, and sometimes in the beginning of those study Bibles, they'll kind of look to answer some of these information that we're going to be going over today. And so we're going to be all over. We're going to be looking in different portions of Scripture this morning rather than a normal verse-by-verse type teaching uh, through the text. We'll do that when we get through verses 1 through 4, but good chunk of our time is going to be background information this morning. So title of our study is going to be Investigating the Gospel, okay? Investigating the Gospel, as I alluded to already, our text is going to be chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And so if you haven't done so already, go ahead and make your way to the Gospel of Luke. And once you are there, I would like to invite you to rise to your feet in honor of God and His Word. I'm going to read our text uh, in my Bible. I'm reading from the New King James Version of the Bible. If you're reading from a different version, I want to encourage you, do your best to follow along, okay? All right. The Gospel according to Luke, chapter 1, verse 1. Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. That's our text. We're going to stop right there and ask God's just continued leading today. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this opportunity to open your word. And Lord, we're excited for this new study in the gospel account of Luke. As we get to look back and retrace your footsteps, the ministry that you did while here on earth, the life you lived, the example you left for us. Lord, I pray that you would give to us an excitement to get into the gospel. Lord, and I pray that you would even give to us just a fresh set of eyes, as I'm sure most of us have probably read the gospel accounts before, and we might think, oh, this is familiar. Lord, I pray, open our eyes. Lord, give to us expectant hearts that you're going to meet with us and that you're going to speak to us each and every time we open up your word. And so, Lord, may that be so this morning. As we've opened your word, we pray, speak to us, lead us and guide us. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Now, in order to gather the basic background information of this gospel account, we're going to ask ourselves the basic questions uh, about the gospel, okay? We're going to ask the who, the what, the when, the where, the why, and the how of the gospel of Luke. And we're going to start with an easy one. It's who, okay? Who wrote the gospel of Luke? Luke, okay, yes. All right. Just checking, making sure you're there. Um, It was not a trick question. Uh, it's an easy one. It's Luke, of course. Okay. Um, now, nowhere in this particular account is the name of Luke mentioned. And so how do we know that Luke is the author? Okay. Good question. Well, we have to do a little digging. 
And we have to do a little bit of investigating to figure this out. We have to look at some of the other books of the Bible to put the pieces together. And so that's what we're going to do here. The book that helps us figure out the most is the book of Acts. You see, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts are believed to be written by the same person based upon their similar opening lines and their overall similarities in writing style. Luke's gospel, as we just read, it opens up how he's writing to a particular person named Theophilus, and we'll talk more about him later. The author writes, it seemed good in verse 3, to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus. And the book of Acts opens up in a similar way, stating in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. And it kind of continues to go on in verse 2, 3, and 4. And so it is apparent that the book of Acts is like a second volume to the book of Luke. The same person who wrote uh, the book of Luke is the same person who wrote the book of Acts. And they are addressing their work to the same person. Uh, And so we can look at Luke and Acts as like a volume one and volume two of a continued account, a continued narrative of what happened. But the thing is, even in the book of Acts, the name Luke is not mentioned. And so we're asked with that face of that question again, how do we know that Luke wrote them both? Well, there are a few subtle clues in the book of Acts that help us out. The biggest piece of information that helps us out is actually a simple change in pronouns in Acts chapter 16. Okay, in Acts chapter 16, Paul is still making his way out in his second missionary journey. He is seeking to go to different areas and to share the gospel with all who would give him an audience. And in Acts chapter 16, verses 8 and 9, it reads this. So passing by my... Mysia, or Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And so the author speaks of Paul and his travel companions in the third person plural form. They, can okay, you see that in verse 8? So passing by, they came down to Troas. But then something changes in verse 10 of Acts 16. It reads this in verse 10. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. And so the author of the book of Acts inserts him into the narrative in Troas. The author joined with Paul and his travel companions at that time. And so that lets us know that the author of both Acts and Luke was someone that was a traveling companion of Paul's. Okay? But we still can't say with certainty that it was Luke. Again, we, he isn't even mentioned in the book. We need to look at the times that Luke is mentioned by the name in the Bible to figure out more details. You see, the name of Luke pops up in the Bible three times. Okay? Only three times. Uh, He's mentioned once in the book of Colossians, he's mentioned once in the book of Philemon, and he's mentioned one other time in the book of 2 Timothy. And in Colossians and in Philemon, his name is merely mentioned in regard to those who send their greetings to the various churches that Paul was writing to. And so this is important because it lets us know that Luke was indeed part of the group of companions that traveled around with 
Paul. Now, in fact, when we cross-reference all the names of people mentioned specifically in the various letters as travel companions of Paul, there are only two people who are not named in the book of Acts in the third person, and that's Luke and Titus. And so we kind of narrow it down to those two people. Uh, So why Luke over Titus? Well, the profile fits better with Luke than it does with Titus, based upon what we do know, the other information that we gather from just those three verses about Luke. Okay, Because in Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, we're told that Luke was a physician. He was a doctor. Paul refers to him as the Luke, the beloved physician. Now, the author of the gospel account of Luke used at least 300 terms related, related to medicine, cures, diseases, and similar vocabulary. And it is evident from the writing that the author is a well-educated man, one who knows his stuff. It comes across as scholarly. It is filled with a lot of details. There's a lot of information that we're going to read in the Gospel of Luke that we're not going to find in any of the other Gospel accounts because he gives us so much detail. Uh, And that's why it's so long. Um, And so it would not be too far-fetched of an idea to come to the conclusion that the author was a well-educated man with a background in medicine based upon the style of writing and the choice of vocabulary used, which fits to the profile of Luke being a doctor. And so that's when we look and say, well, maybe Luke or Titus. Luke, it it definitely lands on Luke. Uh, Another interesting bit of information about Luke, just for us to consider and note, uh, that distinguishes him is found in Colossians 4, where his name is omitted In Colossians 4, Paul speaks of a group of people who are with him who are of the circumcision, meaning that they were Jewish. Paul mentions three people, Aristarchus, Mark, and a guy named Jesus, who's also known as Justice, as the only three who are part of his traveling companions who were of that group of circumcision. Then in verses 12 through 14, he lists a whole other group of guys, one of them being Luke, and so he's not part of that group of circumcision. Let's us know that Luke was not... Uh, a Jew, uh, he was rather Greek. He's a Gentile. Okay? There's a lot of evidence that would suggest that the author of Luke and Acts comes from a Gentile background, one of which is in Acts chapter 1, verse 19, where the author writes, And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem, so that field is called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. The fact that the author refers to an Aramaic phrase and says of it that it is their own language implies that it was not his primary language and it wasn't the primary language of who he was writing to and so it's another indicator that the author was gentile was greek and not jewish so all of these things they they point to luke as being the author of both luke and acts now even on top of that on top of the biblical evidence the early church fathers uh justin martyr Iranius, Tertullian, Eusebius of Caesarea, Jerome, they all unanimously agree and attribute these writings to Dr. Luke. And so, we can be quite certain that Luke is indeed the author of this book, not just because it says so up at the top of your Bibles, okay? And you're like, oh, it's Luke. Well, how do we know, right? Well, we know because what the Bible tells us, and we also know because of church fathers and history supports this fact. So, there really is little doubt to the authorship of these two books, the book of Luke and the book of Acts. 
Now, another who question we want to ask is to whom was Luke writing? Again, this is an easy uh, one. He's the intended audience uh, is told to us. Okay, they are, uh, but there are actually multiple answers to this question. Specifically, we can say that Luke was writing to someone referred to as Theophilus. We really don't know much about Theophilus. The name is used only the two times that Luke mentions it in his greetings, and nowhere else in Scripture is it found. The name Theophilus means lover of God. Theo, God, phileo, love, and so this is lover of God. Some have speculated that perhaps Theophilus isn't meant to be a proper name, but more of a description of someone who Luke was writing to that was a lover of God, someone that loved God, wanted to find out more about Jesus Christ. However, the fact that Luke refers to him as most excellent Theophilus uh, would tend to support the idea that this is in fact a real person because that was a very important title that was used and usually it was reserved for uh, people of high-ranking Roman authority. Luke would use this same exact term when he referred to both Felix and Festus in the uh, book of Acts. Uh, They were both uh, procurators of Judea or governors, basically, of Judea, and they had this same title, most excellent uh, or most noble. And so the fact that Luke references Theophilus in such a way indicates to us that Theophilus was more than likely a very high-ranking Roman authority or official. Now, it could be that both are true, that Theophilus was a lover of God, seeking more information about the gospel that he had heard about, and that he was a high-ranking Roman official, but we can't say with certainty. Uh, We just don't have enough information. Now, while Luke may have written to a specific individual, we also want to note and understand that there was probably a larger audience in mind as Luke put together his overall account. In fact, if you've ever done any type of studies through the Gospels, you'll know that each of the Gospel writers writes to a very specific audience and they write a very specific theme around their Gospel account. For instance, Matthew, he was writing primarily to a Jewish audience. And so he used Uh, his gospel account to present Jesus as the long-awaited Jewish Messiah, the one from the line of David, the uh, promised king of the Jews. And so his gospel emphasizes Jesus' royalty, his place as king. Mark, on the other hand, primarily wrote to a Roman audience. And so the emphasis upon his message was presenting Jesus as the suffering servant. You see, Rome was filled with two sorts of people, those who had and those who did not have. And there was a lot who did not have. Rome at this time was filled with millions of slaves. And so uh, Jesus, or excuse me, Mark in his presentation presents Jesus as the suffering servant. And uh, being able to be portrayed as that type of servant would allow the millions of slaves in Rome to identify with Christ and his ministry. Uh, John in his gospel Real simple, I mean, he's writing to the entire world and he is presenting Jesus Christ as the Son of God and the Savior of the world. But Luke, he writes primarily to a Greek audience. Okay? And the main thrust of his message is the humanity of Jesus. 
The Greek philosophers uh, and people of that day, they were all caught up in the idea of the perfect man. What makes the perfect man? Plato, Aristotle, and years prior to this, spoke of the ideal man. And people would banter back and forth and philosophize uh, regarding what makes the ideal man. Well, Luke comes along and he presents Jesus Christ as the perfect man, emphasizing his humanity, how the fact that God himself came down to the earth and he took on human flesh and he lived a perfect life among us and then he surrendered that life for us, gaining a victory that would be made available for all of humanity through simple faith. And so... We could say that while Luke specifically wrote to Theophilus, we also understand that the greater audience was more focused upon the Greeks and the Gentile world. So let's move on to another type of question. We're going to turn to what, okay? And we're going to ask ourselves, what is the main theme of the book? The main theme of the book is connected to the idea of Luke presenting Jesus in all of his humanity. And the key theme or the key phrase that comes up over and over again is presenting Jesus as the Son of Man. The Son of Man. In fact, that term, Son of Man, is used 26 times in the Gospel of Luke. Over and over again, Luke emphasizes Jesus' humanity. He mentions his ancestry. He mentions his birth. He's the only Gospel writer that gives us any details of his childhood, his his upbringing a little bit. We get a a peek into him as a 12-year-old. He speaks of Jesus as the ideal Son of man who identified with the sorrow and plight of sinful men in order to carry our sorrows and offer us the priceless gift of salvation. So Jesus alone fulfills the Greek ideal of human perfection. That was something the Greeks were focused upon, human perfection. And, and Luke comes along and he says, here is the perfect man, the son of man, Jesus Christ. Let me tell you all about him. Another good what question is to ask, what is the key verse? I always like to try and pick out one key verse. There are a lot of verses in this Bible or in this book, okay? And if I had to pick one, I would pick Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Luke 19:10 states, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Short, sweet, but impactful. This verse captures the humanity of Jesus as the Son of Man. It solidifies why Jesus came in humanity, uh, to humanity in the first place. As a human, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. We all were once lost and dead in our trespasses and our sins, but thanks to Christ, because he came in human form, we have been found. We sing, I once was lost, but now I am found. We sing it all because of the work of Christ on our behalf. So we've got who, we've got what. Let's turn our attention to when. Okay. When was the book of Luke written? Okay. Though we're not given a specific time marker in the book that allows us to pinpoint the exact time of writing, it would seem that the best fit would be sometime during the late 50s, early 60s. Most Bible scholars place it around the year 60 to 61 AD. And they think this because it would appear that the book of Acts was written around the year 62 AD. Uh, during Paul's imprisonment. Uh, the book of Acts basically finishes kind of abruptly. 
without ever telling us what happens to Paul. We kind of just wait, awaiting to find out what's going to happen to him as he awaits trial before Caesar. And uh, historians place Paul's trial before Caesar in the year 62 AD. And so they say, well, Acts must have been finished before that time. And so if Acts was, you know, 62 AD, that means Luke has to be before that. Um, And so you start doing some of the math and you come out um, that in, if in fact the book of Acts was completed before Paul got final word, which I do believe is the case, it would mean that Luke came before that. We do know that Luke traveled with Paul during his time as a prisoner. Um, He was with him while seized in Jerusalem. He was subsequently imprisoned in Caesarea for a couple of years. And then he also was with him during his imprisonment in imprisonment in Rome. So most scholars agree that the two-year imprisonment in Caesarea would have given Luke ample time to do his investigation of the gospel accounts, interviewing key eyewitnesses, gathering intel from those who were part of the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. And then while Paul awaited his trial before Caesar, there would have been time to put this account all together and send it out. And so we know that Paul was in prison from about uh, the year 59 AD to 62 AD. So we kind of put it right in the middle of that 60 to 61 AD is our best guess as to when this gospel, or uh, yeah, this gospel was uh, recorded for us. Now, closely related to our when is our where. From where did Luke write this? Again, it depends on whether or not he was in Caesarea or he was in Rome. Uh, we do believe that it was during Paul's imprisonment but we know that he was in prison awaiting trial. Um, in Caesarea, uh, Felix and Festus kind of gave him the raw end and just kind of let him sit in Caesarea for a couple years, waiting and out before he finally appealed to Caesar and they sent him on to Rome and he had to wait there under house arrest. And so in one of those two places is where we believe uh, the book was written from, Caesarea or Rome, more than likely Rome, where Caesarea would be his time to gather all of his intel and all of his facts, put it all together, and probably finalize it while Paul was in house arrest in Rome. All right. Who, what, when, where, why? Why was the book written? Okay, we are given the answer because in this, Luke tells us the purpose within our text this morning. He wanted to present an orderly account of the narrative of those things which had been fulfilled among them, namely the gospel message, that Theophilus and anyone else who may read this account would know the certainty of those things in which they had been instructed or taught. Okay, Luke's purpose in writing was so that people would know with certainty that the gospel message is true, that it is reliable, and that it has been thoroughly investigated and sought out and been found to be 100% accurate and true. The life ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ was a real historical event that took place during the early first century. The accounts of the gospel have been tested and verified by all sorts of different sources. It has been verified over and over again throughout the years. The gospel is real. The gospel has stood against all sorts of different tests, time and time again, and has proven itself to be trustworthy, to be a reliable account of the details of what transpired during the days of Jesus' earthly ministry. And that was the purpose behind what Luke is writing. He wanted everybody to know with certainty that what we have is true, and we can trust it. 
Lastly, we're going to ask how. How is the gospel account outlined? It is a very big book. It's a long book. We can get very detailed. I'm going to try and make it really simple. Break it up into four sections, all revolving around the Son of Man. Okay? From chapter 1 through to the beginning of chapter 4, the main emphasis will be upon the introduction of the Son of Man. We're going to look at events preceding Christ's birth. We're going to look at his actual birth. We're going to look at a, a little glimpse into his childhood and some of the things that took place prior to his three-year earthly ministry. Okay, So that will be the introduction of the Son of Man. From chapter 4 through a good chunk of chapter 9, the emphasis will be upon the ministry of the Son of Man. Okay? We're going to look at a number of different activities that Jesus was involved in, from casting out demons, healing the sick, uh, teaching and preaching uh, to the masses, as well as the individuals and within the synagogues. Now, from the end of chapter 9, there starts to be a change in the reception of Jesus. Up until that point, everybody was really excited. Everybody's bringing out their sick people. Everyone's getting healed. Everyone's getting a free lunch. And it's like, man, wherever Jesus goes, everybody wants to go, and it's really great and wonderful. Well, somebody started getting wind of all this. The religious leaders, they didn't like it. And from chapter 9, we start to see a divide happen. While there is a continued growth and belief by some there is an equal continued separation from Christ that's going to continue all the way till chapter 19 where ultimately we're going to have two extremes. We're going to have those who love the Lord, that are disciples of the Lord, that have given their life to the Lord and everything, they believe in Him, and then there's going to be people that can't stand Him, that want nothing to do with Him, that are yelling out, crucify Him, crucify Him. And so that begins in chapter 9, the the rejection of the Son of Man. We start to see this pulling away, and that's going to go all the way to chapter 19. The fourth and final section of the gospel is going to deal with the crucifixion and resurrection of the Son of Man. Okay? So four main sections, a lot of details within each of those. Okay? We'll get through it slowly, but we've got the introduction of the Son of Man, we've got the ministry of the Son of Man, we have the rejection of the Son of Man, and then the crucifixion and resurrection of the Son of Man. Okay? That's our outline, and we're going to do our best to kind of stick to that as we go through uh, this gospel account. So with that complete, let's take a quick look at our text this morning, see what else we can learn from our time together. Read verses 1 and 2 again with me. Luke writes, Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, I'm going to pause right there, right in the middle of that thought sentence, okay? Remember that Luke is investigating the details of the gospel account. He's like an investigative reporter, okay? He's going onto the scene, and he's trying to gather as much information as possible to put together uh, an account of his own. And as we go through this in these first two verses, we're going to note the various resources he had available to him. First of all, we note that there were several different narratives out there that people had written about the gospel message, about the life of Christ, those things which had been fulfilled among them. And it is apparent that some were trustworthy, while others were not. And hence the reason for Luke to investigate and come up with his own accurate rendering of the facts regarding the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, Throughout the years, there has been all sorts of chatter out there about 
other so-called gospels. I don't know if you've ever heard uh, of these before. You know, there's the gospel of Q, uh, the gospel of James, the gospel of Peter, the gospel of Thomas. Uh, there's even one uh, out there that claims to be the gospel of Judas. Uh, Judas Iscariot wrote a gospel, evidently. Um, I don't think that's accurate, but... Um, whether or not these documents really ever existed isn't necessarily a great mystery. Okay? Luke tells us that there were all sorts of accounts written about Jesus. And so could these people have written accounts about Jesus and put these titles on them? Absolutely. I imagine there was a whole lot more than just those ones that I listed off. Okay? You see, our main concern should not be upon how many gospels there were, uh, how many reports were written, or even upon whether or not those gospels were accurate reports. Our main concern should be upon how many of them were actually inspired by the Holy Spirit. Okay? Those are the ones that we want to pay attention to. Okay? Those are the ones that we want to read and structure our lives after. Those are the ones that are going to be 100% trustworthy and reliable. And God has seen fit to give to us 27 books in the New Testament and 39 books in the Old Testament that have been designated as the authoritative and inspired Word of God. And to be honest with you, I really don't care to read other Gospels or to search for missing Gospels or to research lost Gospels. Okay, I'm good with what we have right here in front of us. Okay? The complete, inspired, unchanging, uncompromising, holy word of God. That's what we have in front of us, and it is more than enough. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 states, All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Listen, we have everything we need right here in God's word. Well, not only were there many narratives and accounts to search through and to dissect and research, but we also want to note that Luke also had access to many eyewitness testimonies. Part of Luke's investigation into the gospel involved interviewing all sorts of different eyewitnesses that had firsthand knowledge of the events and ministry of the life of Christ. Certainly this would include some of the disciples of Christ, but also some of the lay people, the women and children that were part of the crowds that Jesus ministered to. No doubt he probably interviewed people who were eyewitnesses to the major events in the life of Christ, his healing ministry, his teaching ministry, his ministry in Galilee, his ministry in Jerusalem, those who were there at the beginning of it all, those who were there at the end of it all when he gave his life upon the cross of Calvary and then rose from the dead. Jesus, we're told, was seen, you know, we know he was seen by thousands upon thousands of people uh, during the time that he walked upon this earth, okay? Even after his resurrection, the scriptures attest that he was seen by more than 500 at one time. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul attests how Jesus rose again from the grave on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. And then it says, after that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. That's a euphemism for have died. So he basically says, hey, even after the resurrection, over 500 people saw him, and most of those people are still alive when he wrote the book of 1 Corinthians, which was 
before this time. And so there are a lot of eyewitnesses that Luke had uh, access to. Okay? Uh, not only did he have written accounts as a resource and eyewitness accounts as well, but he also had available to him those who ministered the word of God. Those who were actively going out and sharing the gospel message with the world around them. Those would include any of the apostles, the church leaders who were still alive at that time, which would have been most of them if we're talking about the late 50s, early 60s. Uh, we do know James, the brother of John, died in the 40s. But rather, other than that, most of the other disciples, the apostles, the followers of Christ were still around doing ministry, proclaiming the gospel. And so Luke would have access to them. He would be able to interview them and to run his notes by them and cross-reference different things and to verify facts about specific things that uh, took place. And as Luke gathered all of his evidence, from the written narratives to the eyewitness testimonies to the faithful ministers of the word, he was able to come to a certain outcome, a certain conclusion. Let's read verses 3 and 4 once again. It says, It seemed good to me also having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. While we noted Luke's resources in verses 1 and 2, here we're going to note Luke's results. What was the outcome of all this research? Where did it lead him? Well, verse 3 tells us that it led Luke to a place where he had perfect understanding. Your translation may read that he had carefully investigated or having followed all things closely the idea behind this greek word is to make an extensive effort to learn the details and truth about something to diligently search something out he searched out everything that he could and he carefully and he diligently put it all together in this account that we have before us in the gospel of luke now verse 3 continues saying that he had perfect understanding of all things from the very first or from the beginning your translation may read i do find that phrase the very first uh, it's actually one word in the greek and i find it a very interesting word in the greek here it would seem that they're using it as a marker of time since the very beginning, uh, perhaps, of Jesus' ministry, uh, perhaps the beginning of his life, Luke had perfect understanding of all things from the very first. But this word is more often used to refer to a place and not a time. The Greek word is anothen. Okay? It means from above or from a higher place. It's used in substitution of from heaven or from the heaven, or from God, since God dwells in heaven. It's used in verses like John, chapter 19, verse 11, where Jesus says, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Okay, anothen. Okay, also in James 1, 17, where James writes, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, anothen. Okay, and it comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. And so what Luke could be claiming is not that he had perfect understanding of all things from the beginning of Jesus' time, but that his perfect understanding of all things came from above, okay, that they came from the Lord. 
that as Luke sought out the truth regarding Jesus Christ, that God revealed himself to Luke and confirmed the things that he had researched, that his findings were from above that God had given him this complete understanding of the gospel message, and now he's set to put it down in the very report that we have before us. Okay? We do know that as a writer of the scriptures, that Luke was indeed inspired by the Holy Spirit. That word inspiration, it speaks of being God-breathed. The, word are, uh, the scriptures are God-breathed. They are inspired by God. Okay? And so to say that this that Luke's understanding and his knowledge of the events came from the Lord, that's not a crazy thing to consider. In fact, I would, I would suggest to you that it ought to be understood and accepted as such. Luke was divinely inspired from above to give us this account. Now, continuing on, we see that Luke put together an orderly account, not necessarily a chronological order. We will we'll see some differences in the synoptic gospels, but there is a definite flow to his account. He's taking us from the beginning of Jesus' ministry, working his way on up to the cross the, uh, resur- and the resurrection. And in verse 4, we're told why he did so. That we may know the certainty of those things in which we have been instructed. Theophilus had obviously been instructed and informed about the gospel of Jesus. And Luke, having researched everything and gathered his resu- results, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he set out to make this orderly account so that Theophilus and all who read this account would know with absolute certainty that the things we've been taught about Jesus and his gospel message, message excuse me, they are true. They are certain. Listen, we do not have to have any doubts regarding the reality of the real-life events that took place some 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ walked this earth. He lived a perfect life, and He willingly sacrificed that life only to rise from the dead three days later. This is the gospel message. Okay? Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. He paid the penalty for your sins and mine, and we can now be forgiven our sins and trespasses by placing our faith in the completed work of the cross in His victory over sin, death, and the grave. That's the gospel message. That's what we have here in the gospel of Luke, and it is certain. It is true. Now, in conclusion, okay, I, I have to give you some application points, okay? I don't want it to be all academic here this morning. Okay? Three things I want you guys to take with you outside of just this background information. One, okay, they won't be up on the TV screen, so if you're going to write them down, write them down. One, Luke was willing to do the hard work. He was willing to dig in and actually study the material available to him to research it and to figure it out to the best of his ability the truth of the gospel. You know, the scriptures exhorts us to do likewise. The scriptures exhort us, be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Okay? My exhortation to us all, my encouragement to us all, is that we would be students of the word of God. 
Okay? May we be diligent to get into the Word and to study it and to rightly divide it for our own growth, our own maturity, our own understanding, our own walk in the Lord. Just as Luke said, you know what, I'm going to seek out and I'm going to give every diligence to figure out the truth of what this gospel message is that we would do likewise. We would get into the Scriptures and we would know what the Scriptures teach us too. I think we need to take with us the certainty of the gospel. We have been given the sure foundation of God's word to build our lives upon. What we have before us is the very inspired word of God, and it is all that we need. God has given us everything we need for this life. He's given us his word. He's given us our spirit, his spirit within us, and we have need of nothing else. And we've all been given those same two resources. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ today, the Holy Spirit dwells within you and you have access to God's Word. And that is all we need. We all have been equipped equally in this regard. We've all been given access to the Spirit of God and to the Word of God. Peter wrote, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. God's word, it gives us the knowledge of the Lord. It teaches us all we need to know. It gives us great and precious promises. Everything we need to live godly for the Lord is here and God has given to us. Third and finally, okay, I think we need to take with us the example of Luke who was ready to give a defense of what he believed upon. Listen, I ask you this with all sincerity. Do you know what you believe? Do you know what the Bible teaches for yourself? I can come up here and I can teach Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday. Okay, you're only going to get a couple hours each week. You need to be getting into the Word yourself. You need to know what the Bible says yourself. Okay, but listen, not only that, can you give a defense of the gospel to anyone who may ask you for it? Theophilus asked Luke to go investigate the gospel message of Christ, and Luke was diligent to not only search out the scriptures, to search out the, the narratives, to get eyewitness testimonies, but he also to sit down and to respond to Theophilus and to give to him an accurate and thorough explanation of the gospel message. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 15 exhorts us to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks us a reason for the hope that is within us with meekness and fear. And I pray that each and every one of us would not only be students of the Word of God. We don't want to just fill our heads with knowledge, guys. Hey, we want to be students of the Word of God, but we want to be proclaimers of the Word of God as well. We want to make sure that we're not just filling our head with the gospel, but that we're taking the gospel to the world around us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your Word. And we thank you for just this opportunity to get into the book of Luke. Lord, we're excited to follow through your footsteps and trust that you have just a a wonderful work ahead of us, Lord. We submit our study of this book to you. Give to us an anticipation and an excitement that you're going to do great things. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us everything that we need. Lord, we thank you 
that your word is a sure foundation. It is the rock upon which we can build our lives. And we do so, Lord, securely and knowing, Lord, that there is no other foundation to build our lives upon. And so, Lord, lead us and guide us. Continue to minister to us throughout the week. Give us an excitement for the week to come. In Jesus' name, amen.